uh, wanted to uh, move into, though, this Isaiah chapter 9 passage. And I don't know if you're like us, and you would think that after five children, at some point it would have gotten easy, but we always had a challenge figuring out the name of the baby. Um, you may not have had that problem at all. If you've had children, you may go, you know what, we knew what names they were going to be long before they were ever even conceived, and, and, I, and I get that. We, it was not so easy. It, possibly part of it was because I was a youth pastor for many years, and you just think of all these people, and it's like, no, I can't name them after that person or that person or that person. Um, uh, seriously, no, well, that was seriously. Um, then, then, then I've got this uncanny knack to come up with every possible name they could be made fun of on the playground or otherwise as a derivative of that name that might potentially be the one. And so then that knocks out a whole nother multitude of them, right? But then they show up and they live in that name that you finally choose for a while. And we look at Shaylee and Riley and Silas and Levi and Lindley now and think, wow, in our minds, they are the perfect embodiment of that name. They just fit. It just, it just works. And I look at their spiritual meaning of our kids' names. And, I, and, I, and, I, and I, you know, we've got steadfast in trust, blessed, protected, enlightened, abiding in God. And you know what? I want that for our kids. My prayer is that that does become reality as they become men and women who seek after the heart of God. That they would become people who can be trusted and who are blessed and protected and enlightened by the truth of God. And as they abide in him. Now, I know everybody doesn't always live up to their name, right? I mean, you think about Adolf. He was not necessarily the noblest of heroes, or maybe Bonnie and Clyde. I don't necessarily think most people would consider them good and warm-hearted. Maybe Nero. I'm not sure just how generous he really was. Especially as he pillaged from town to town. But what we find out about Jesus, the descriptions of Jesus, even thousands of years before he walked on the earth, they would perfectly describe who he is and who he was and what he came to do. Jesus, Yeshua, Yahweh saves, Christ, the anointed one. For over 2,000 years, Jesus continues to live out his name in the lives of millions of people. Jesus saves, and it was predicted almost 800 years ago before his birth by Isaiah in this way. Verse 2. Of chapter 9, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. Uh, John 8, 12 describes, uh, Jesus describes himself, right, as the light of the world. The father of John the Baptist in Luke 1, 79 describes Israel as a people living in darkness and in the shadow of death. Certainly, prophecy would be Fulfilled, And even on the scene, they were understanding and discovering and living in that fulfillment. Isaiah 9, verse 3, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. 
What a perfect verse as we even are looking at this Advent candle tonight of joy. That the people would eventually rejoice again. And that not only those people would rejoice, but an enlarged nation would rejoice. What does that mean? And how could they fully understand that? I mean, they're moving into captivity with the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Persians. What could they possibly rejoice in? And here's what we know. What we know is that this certainly is being fulfilled even today as we worship in this place and we sing unstoppable God. We are a part of the fulfillment of that prophecy. A nation enlarged beyond just the Jewish people moving into the Gentiles. We sit here rejoicing. A nation enlarged. Isaiah 9 verse 4. For as in the day of Midian's defeat you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. You see those words there, yoke, bar, rod, controlling the oxen, they're they're farming tools. They are oppressing that beast as it does the job that it is supposed to be doing. When the Assyrians fell under the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, what were they experiencing? A great oppression. And yet, this prophecy is ultimately fulfilled and their oppression is shattered. And in the first five verses that we've looked at here in Isaiah chapter 9, this prophetic passage, what we find is it really all centers in these first five verses, I believe, around that one descriptive element of the Christ in verse 2. That a great light would show up. That a great light would show up on the scene. So I don't know how many of you live now in a basement. I know they're not as typical in Dallas as they are in other parts of the country. But we lived in a house with a basement in Knoxville. And um, although we didn't go down there a lot, it actually was one of my favorite parts of the house. I really loved the fact that you could go out on the porch uh, right off the back porch, off of the kitchen, and look between 10 and 2, and there's the Great Smoky Mountains there, and, and water, and I mean, just a view, you know, much like as we look out our house now. Um, no. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, uh, not so fond of the, of the yard in the backyard that kind of went like this, almost killed myself multiple times trying to mow it, you know, not, not a good thing. But you know what, that basement on a Sunday afternoon, you could go in there and close all of those doors, and it was a great napping spot it got so ridiculously dark it was an it was the best place I've ever been to I've ever owned for taking a nap it was fantastic and you know dark can be great for naps it's not great for other things as a matter of fact it's not great for waking up and trying to get to the light and realizing your children have scattered lego all over the place and that it now becomes this parent torture trap as you attempt to get to the light to find hope that one day the pain would end. Light brings hope. When Christ shows up on the scene, his name as early as Isaiah 9 is understood as the great light. And it brings hope. Now, here's what I want us to do. I want us to play a little exercise. And we can do this. We're Saturday night. I don't know that Sunday is as astute as a crowd to be able to do this as you guys are. But you can handle this. All right? I want you to just close your eyes with me for a minute. 
I also know that you can do this and not fall asleep. I want you to close your eyes, and with your eyes closed, I want you to imagine. We're going to do a role play here. I want you to imagine that your name is Johan. Your name is Johan Westhauser. You are an explorer who in June of this year, true story, was exploring Germany's deepest cave. A rock slide occurs. You are allied, but you are buried underground four miles from the entrance. One day, two days, eyes still closed, three days, your portable light source goes out. It's now pitch black, eyes still closed, four days, five, six, seven, eight, food is gone, nine, 10, 11, the water you rationed is over, 12, you see a light. I want you to open your eyes. Johann saw just a pinprick of a light. True story, what he did not know was there was an international team of rescuers made up of multiple nations working around the clock trying to get to him. And on that 12th day, we now believe one of the greatest rescue attempts and successes that our world has ever known as they went four miles in to rescue Johann occurred in Germany. According to the leader of the Swiss rescue team, Andy Schurer, he said, quote, we had grown into one big family. The Austrian representative said, quote, even the strongest men on our team had tears in their eyes when the team emerged into the great light. You know, the greatest rescue ever actually didn't occur in Germany this past June. We know that. It occurred 2,000 years ago when a world was trapped by sin in a cave of eternal darkness and the light of the world showed up to bring hope. In a manger to offer salvation to anyone that allow him to pull them into the light. And so, we're going to do this exercise one more time, but this time it's not for role play, it's not for pretend. I'm just going to ask us to once again close our eyes. But this time just be very silent in the sense that we are here with just us and God. And he's asking us the question, do you know my son? And maybe what you would say to him is, you know what, I've been in church for a long time. I've been coming on Saturday a long time. I know a lot about the Bible. But I don't know the great white. And what God wants to say to you tonight, what he's saying is, you have no hope without him. That our sin has separated us from God. But that he provided an answer through his son.
the great light, the light of the world, the one who would enter in and give us hope, that give us a future, that would give us forever if we said yes to him. And maybe what you would say tonight is something like this. God, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I'm separated from you. And I know that I need you. I believe that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for me. I believe it happened. And God, I receive that gift of salvation tonight. In faith, I receive that gift believing that he can be my savior, that he is my hope, that he is my everything. In Jesus' name. So that's the best part of the story, isn't it? That he came and he gave hope. And that hope gives us great joy. And that in our darkness, he gives light. That's not all. What does it mean? When we walk in him, when we live for him, what what does that name also mean for those who seek him? Isaiah 9, 6, we continue. Last couple of verses that we'll look at tonight. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He starts out very human in the description. For unto us a child is born, a son is given. That could be descriptive of a million different Facebook posts, right? Today, a child is born, a son is given. Yes, Jesus, fully, completely human, a baby shows up in the manger. He poops, he burps, he's hungry, he's thirsty. He experiences pain and great joy. He goes through puberty and hormones. He's tempted, yet without sin. But that's not all of the description. There's more than just that he's a child and a son. And he will be called wonderful. Hebrew word meaning extraordinary, miraculous. That he would be counselor. Wonderful counselor. That he would be the miraculous, extraordinary counselor, where we get our word design, sometimes we don't consider those things coming together, but it makes perfectly good sense. Why? Because what God does is he shows off as the ultimate designer. His show on HGTV would be the best. You could not deny that his plans would be perfect every single time. And so why would it not make sense for us to go to him as counselor? Because he is the ultimate designer. He is the ultimate in making and giving us the best decisions. Mighty God, he is the divine warrior. Everlasting father, he is the compassionate one. He is the one that sits down on the edge of this stage and says, you know what? Here, you need to talk. You need to share your heart. You need to come. Can I just wrap my arm around you while we talk? Prince of Peace. One that brings peace, one that brings reconciliation, 
What does his name tell us? His name in all of these descriptions in this verse says, listen, you have everything that you need in Jesus. Just a great reminder for us tonight, right? That we really do have everything that we need in him. The question is, are we really living life that way? Do we live life in a way that we think unstoppable God, as we sang earlier, that he really is the one who can do what we can't? And am I trusting him for those things? That I trust him with my choices, that he is my counselor in those relationships, in those conversations I need to have, in those decisions that I need to make about my job, about what I'm about to purchase, in the decision I'm making regarding my kids. Am I trusting him? Is he my counselor in those things? Or is he the second one that I refer to after I've already screwed it up an awful lot? Is he mighty God in the battles that I face? In the battles that I face, maybe with relationships, with lust, with pride, in the fact that I always have to be right. Battles with materialism and battles that just tempt me every day. Do I trust him with the deepest parts of my heart, with those things that nobody else knows I'm thinking or feeling? And we all walked in with those tonight. We all walked in with something deep down inside that we think and we feel. And God says, don't you just want to sit down on the edge of the stage with me for a bit and let me be everlasting father to you. Prince of peace, do we trust him in the chaos of this life with the things that scare us, with the things that are uncertain, with the things that make us sad, with the things that we have no control over, with the things that are happening very close to us and the things that are happening a continent away. Isaiah 9, 7, the last verse. as We describe Jesus in context here. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. How long? For a couple of years? For a few generations? Till everybody kind of forgets? From that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. I think the word that I love in that passage as I was looking at it over the last couple of weeks is that word forever. Forever. One word. It takes us back to passages like John 1.1, right? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Revelation 22, 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, and the last and the beginning, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Colossians 1, 16, Paul writes that Jesus is before all things, and in him all things can consist. Colossians 1, 15 and 16, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heavens and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominations or dominions or principalities or powers. You know what that means? Here's what this means for us tonight. What this means is 
You ready for this? We don't have to search anymore. We don't have to keep looking for the perfect Savior. He is. We don't have to keep looking for the answer. He is. This Christmas, maybe what you just go to is you go to this place. Jesus, you really are the answer. We don't have to keep searching for what gives life meaning. We can follow him. Living for him does. We don't have to keep on trying to figure out how we should be defined. He defines us. He says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. We can believe that. We really can. I think even as adults, we struggle sometimes truly believing that. As we look in the mirror and age continues to change what we had gotten used to, maybe in our 20s or our 30s, and God still whispers in your ear, listen, I'm the one that defines you. We don't have to keep on trying to look for answers to the big questions of life like why am I here and does my life matter and how can I make a difference and this midlife crisis is making me wonder what is it that I'm really doing? Because when we follow Jesus, we won't miss the plan. We will make a difference. We will matter for all of eternity. And you know what? There are people that are paraded in front of us every single day and they're paraded with agendas, and they're paid by high-powered, well-funded lobbying groups. And you know what they try to do? To compel us to spend our money and to spend our time and to spend our energy on a myriad of things. Environmental issues, social issues, gender issues, racial issues, national issues, global issues. Is the goal of pleasing Jesus, exalting Jesus, allowing Jesus to define who I am and what I do is following Jesus, is following him enough. You know, we started the night with some kids down at the front of the stage reminding us or telling us maybe even for the first time about a prophecy that Jesus fulfilled. A little known one about Two particular tribes getting virtually obliterated and Jesus coming on the scene 800 years later to bring healing to that spot. But you know what? There's over 40 others, all fulfilled by Jesus. Born in Bethlehem from the line of Abraham, a descendant of Jacob, a descendant of Isaac, from the tribe of Judah, heir to the throne of King David, called Emmanuel, spent the night in Egypt, a massacre of children occurs in his birthplace, rejected by his own people, called a Nazarene, speaking in parables, healing the brokenhearted, called a king, praised by little children, betrayed, falsely accused, crucified with criminals, hands and feet pierced, bones not broken, forsaken by God, praying for his enemies, rising from the dead, ascending to heaven. Jesus fulfilled every one of those and more. If we really believe who Jesus says he is and what the prophets pointed to and that he really was born and he really did die and he really did rise again and he really does intercede for us at the right hand of the Father then how can we live for any other purpose? So my heart was just broken today as I was reading this report from the New York Post about four children in Iraq. I 
ISIS asked them this week, you say the words, you will follow Muhammad. They said, no, quote, we love Yeshua. We have always loved him. And then they were executed. All under 15 years of age. But all believing that Jesus was their everything. That nothing else mattered. God, thanks for reminding us in this passage that you are light. That you are the great light. God, that you are Prince of Peace and Everlasting Father and Mighty God. That you are Mighty Counselor. That you are wonderful. That you are forever. God, thank you for reminding us of those names and those descriptions about your son, Jesus, Yeshua. And in the quietness of this moment, would you say, yeah, he's the light of the world to me? Would you say, yeah, I do believe that he has everything that I need Would you say, yeah, Randy, I really am trusting him. I want to. I want to trust him with everything. I want to trust him with the things that I can't accomplish on my own. I want him to be wonderful in my life. God, I want to trust you with the decisions of this week. And I want to trust you with the battles that I face. And I want to trust you with the things that are deep down inside that I just need to sit right next to you and talk about. And I want to trust you, God, this week to be the prince of peace in me. Would you say, like those children this week, in a country far away, Yeshua, you are everything to me. You're everything. I lay it all there. 